Good morning all. It's good to be with you. Um, this is the last in our um, Restored Preach series. Um, to be honest, I had wondered um, in, in, in prepping for it, I, I had wondered about whether actually what I do is I do a bit of a, a summary um, of what we've done over the last seven, eight weeks together. But if I'm honest, as I started looking at this, I thought, now this is so important, um, I, 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 must, I must look into, or we must look together um, at, this, at this last uh, subject and uh, so, so I, I'm really praying and hoping that this will be uh, a real blessing to you as we do that. But before I do, I just want to, um, we, I know we heard about it in church news, reading God's word together. There are booklets available. We produce one a term. Um, and it's really just to help you read the Bible. I don't think there's anything that helps us grow as Christians more than just reading the Bible. Um, it brings life. It reveals who God is. And so whether you've not done it at all before, well, grab one of these and 1st of January, make a start. Whether you've been doing it faithfully through the year, well, don't give up. Keep going with it. Or, or to be quite honest, if you're really honest, you got to about the 23rd of January last year or this year, and then you stopped. Don't let that disappoint you. Just pick it up. Um, go again. The truth is all of us at different times due to different things going on in life can have um, either success or failure when it comes to reading the Bible. We can just struggle to do it. Don't let that put you off. Just, just give it a go and uh, start again. So today we're going to be looking um, at the whole subject um, of relating to others. It is, it is absolutely so massively, um, massively important. If I can start by putting it negatively, I think one of the devil's main weapons that he has is to bring division between people. If he can divide us, whether that's friends, whether that's family, whether that's work colleagues, whether it's neighbourhoods, whether it's nations, if he can divide us, he's got a brilliant seedbed for everything else that he wants to do. In actual fact, even as churches, we're not immune to this. There is throughout church history probably tens of thousands of stories of healthy churches that lost their way because of relational breakdown, because people fell out and they didn't put into practice what the Bible teach when it, when it comes to relating to one another. Things like, you know, think about it, things like anger and gossip, bitterness, scepticism, like I say, all makes for a perfect seedbed for the devil to get in and, and, and just cause disruption. Once he's in in that way, um, it can have a big knock-on effect. And we as church are certainly not immune to it. But when it comes to us relating together, God also has really high expectations for us as well. And as we walk through this preach, I, I, I believe, I, I'm hoping, my hope is that you will see actually how countercultural it is compared to the society we live in. What, what the Bible teaches, what God has got for us when it comes to relating to one another. Now, in some ways, it can all be summed up in one little bit of the Bible. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39. 
Have a look at it. It's really familiar. It's going up on the screen now. Have a look and you're, yeah, just very simple but, but very profound. So Jesus said to them, said to him, what's the greatest commandment was the question that was asked. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. This is, this is God's call on every single one of our lives if we are followers of Jesus. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Implicit in what Jesus is saying here is the fact that we do all love ourselves. Now, now you may be thinking, oh, I don't know if I love myself. No, no, let me explain. Let me assure you, you love yourself. I know that because I love myself. I might not like everything about me, but I do love myself. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I've put the, myself, if I'm not careful, I put myself at the center of my world. Most of my thoughts, decisions, and words, if we're not careful, can be mainly self-centered. What do I want? What do I want to see? What makes me fulfilled? What makes me happy? All of these are just a reflection, an overflow, what? That we do love ourselves. And Jesus says, well, no, actually, the, sec the second commandment, like the first, is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is an incredibly high bar for us to go after. So what does it look like? To love each other as the Bible describes. You know, how are we to understand our roles and responsibilities in relationship? How can we grow together in Christ and express true unity? This is what we're going to be looking at today. Now, what I want to do is we're going to look at this whole subject of unity, relating well together under four sort of foundational subheading type things. I don't know. And then, to be quite honest, I think we're just going to see where we go from there. Um, we had a wonderful prayer meeting this morning at 8.45 um, in a different bit of the building and God was powerfully there and he was powerfully speaking and I, I really believe God wants to do something in our lives through this. This is a massive subject for all of us. So, the importance of unity. The first thing I want to highlight to you is this. Do you know what? Jesus prays for us that we will be unified. It's that important that Jesus prays for us. This is what it says in John 17. I do not ask for these only, that's the 12 disciples immediately in front of Jesus, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that, that includes us. That they may all be one, so they may be unified, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' ambition for our unity as a local church, Jesus' ambition for our unity in connect group setting, Jesus' ambition for our un unity in youth group or in our serving teams, or even for the church across the town, is that we will be as unified as the Trinity is. 
That's, that's basically what he's saying. That is a massively high bar. And that's what Jesus prays for. One of the last prayers that he prays is that the church will be unified in that way. What a high bar. That we would be genuinely united at a heart level. And in fact, the unity would be so high that the world would look in, see something of how we interact together and think, you know what? I want a piece of that. I want what they've got. They will, they will see something that will be so attractional that, that, that they, will, they will want to be part of us. They will want to experience that unity, um, that love. A unity that impacts this unity impacts whether people respond to the gospel or not. And, you know, where are they? You know, these Christmas flyers. Brilliant. Let's invite people to come and uh, they will see something and they will hear something about Jesus. But you know what? What it impacts more is when we love each other as the Bible says we're to love one another. That's, that's, that's what it says. Second thing about this unity is this. Free will gives us responsibility. Do you know what? God did not create you as robots. You're not a robot. You don't just have to do certain things. You've got free will. You can make a decision and have responsibility for the decisions you make in your life. That's how he's created every single one of us. We have a free choice and that includes whether we are unified or not. You have a choice as to whether to think, to think the best of someone. You have a choice as to whether to forgive someone. You have a choice as to whether you're going to actively love someone. So although Jesus prayed for it, and I think it's good that we pray for it, it isn't just a matter of prayer, it's a matter of us stepping into it. Thirdly, there is a great blessing in unity. An absolute great blessing in unity. This is what it says in Psalm 133 verses 1 to 3. If we can pop that up, that would be brilliant. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, you are included too, dwell together in unity. Now then it goes on to something that if you're not used to sort of Bible language can seem a bit odd. It's like, it's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And you're thinking, what on earth is that? What, why on earth would you get a whole load of olive oil and tip it on someone's head? But, but that's what he's talking about there. But, but that signifies blessing. That signifies God's presence and God's anointing. And there is something about when we dwell together in unity where anointing comes. The presence of the Holy Spirit makes his home with us on the basis, on the back of the unity we have together. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. It's all very poetic in its language. Look. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And so when we as church, as family, dwell together in unity, it's as though God can't help but bless us. He, he can't help it. When we are expressing and working out what it means to be in relationship and loving one another, even when it hurts and even when it's costly, he can't help but bless us. But on the flip side of it, 
if there's anger and backbiting and gossiping and, and, and disagreement and things undealt with, that stops the blessing of God. It stops the blessing of God on your life personally. Stops the, can, can stop the blessing of God on church together. I can't quite remember where in the New Testament it says it, but it, but it, says, it says to husbands something about making sure that you live in a considerate way with your wives. Why? So that your prayers will be heard. So what's that saying? It's saying, well, actually, if you're not considerate and loving in how you relate to your wife, then it can block your prayers. That's, that's quite challenging. Husbands, why have you all shrunk about an inch in your seats? Number four, it's really helpful in this whole area of unity if we're aware of our own weaknesses. Being aware, aware of our own weaknesses. Have you got a sober assessment of yourself? That's not being down on yourself. But, but when you're thinking about others and are they doing well or not and how's it all working out, do you have yourself in that perspective as well? Do, do you realise, and we all sort of do, don't we? we you know, put your hand up if you're flawed. You, know, you, may be, you may be a masterpiece, but you're a bit of a flawed masterpiece. When you're thinking of others, how much are you aware that, that you may not have the same flaws or the same brokenness as, as them, but... But you do have brokenness and you do have flaws. Jesus told this sort of comedy parable. It's like big, it's bold, it's meant to grab our attention in Matthew 7 to illustrate this point. Have a look. Try and imagine if this was you and uh, maybe someone else in your life that you're struggling to get on with. Dan, if we can go for the next uh, slide, that would be brilliant. This is Jesus talking, talking to Christians. Okay, So people just like you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, where's those tweezers? Let me get this speck of dust out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. That's Jesus talking to people just like us. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When it, when it talks about re- relating with others, what's really helpful is to realise some of us, many of us have got planks in our own eyes. Some of us have got specks of dust in our own eyes and we need to put more effort into growing our own characters than we do telling others how they should be growing theirs. But it's a lot easier to do it the other way around, isn't it? It's a lot easier to see things in other people that needs to change. But Jesus says, you know, you can imagine it in church. Loads of us walking around with these big planks of four by two in our eyes and going up to one another, Sam, I'm going to just help you with that speck of sawdust, get that out. And everyone's looking going, Paul, you're mad. Look, you've got this big plank of wood in your eye. You get, get that out. Get that out first. But, but in practice, come on, how often is it? How often is it that we are much more judgmental of others 
than we are of ourselves. And the truth is, you see, and the, the Bible says this on a number of occasions, you know, when it comes to encountering God as he really is in his holiness, what is it, what is it that those individuals notice more than anything else? You know, I'm here on my knees. The living God is in front of me. What, what is it that I become aware of? Is it Sam's sin that I remember? Or is it mine? Is it Sam's uncleanliness? Oh God, God, while we're here, I just want to bring my dear brother, my dear fellow elder up to you, Sam. You know that speck of sawdust that he's got in his eye? I really think you should deal with that. No, no, the Bible is, is, is constant throughout where people have encounters with the living God. They realise their own sinfulness. That's where it starts. And if we're going to relate well together, leaning more that way than looking at other people is the best starting place. So if we're going to relate well to one another, there's just one other thing I'd love us to cover, and then we're going to respond by having bread and wine. And I, I really believe, I don't know, I'm going to leave it with Sam and Claire, but I think maybe the Holy Spirit wants to come and meet with us as well on the back of it. Because where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there he commands a blessing. There's one other thing. That in any relationship, there are both rights and responsibilities. Now, over the years in the UK, there's been a, a restoration of understanding people's rights. And that has been a good thing. Individual rights. That, that is not a bad thing for us to understand. That is, that is good. But an increasing emphasis on rights only works if we have the correct understanding of responsibility as well. The two go hand in hand. If you only lean towards rights, you'll go off skewed into all sorts of unhelpful places. In the media, you rarely hear of someone saying something along the lines of, oh, I should have taken personal responsibility for this, but I didn't. Sometimes it talks about personal responsibility, but generally it's about pointing at someone that hasn't rather than understanding it for ourselves. But the Bible says that we are created in God's likeness and part of that likeness is we have been given the opportunity to take personal responsibility. It's, it's how we're designed to work. In actual fact, it's, it's important even for our well-being that we can carry personal responsibility. Because, because in a sense, as we're carrying personal responsibility, we realise we're needed. We realise we can make a difference. It's part of our human dignity that we take personal responsibility. So it's not something that we should hide from. It's something that we should embrace. And every human relationship has both rights and responsibilities. But where should we as Christians put our emphasis on what we should have coming to us or what we should be giving to other people. How do, when do marriages work best? When you've got two parties demanding their rights or two parties fulfilling their responsibilities? In family situation, are we better when both parents and children are demanding their rights or when parents and children are fulfilling their responsibilities in local church where does it work better 
when, when elders and leadership maybe are demanding their rights or, or, or when they fulfill their responsibilities or for the congregation the same. When we stand before Jesus, will he ask us, now Sam, did you get all your rights? Did, did you get everything that you should have done? Or will he ask Sam, Sam, did you use the gifts and the abilities that I gave you have you fulfilled the responsibilities that you have got as an elder, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as an employee? Where, where will it fall? What will Jesus ask us when he comes again? Let me ask you another question. And by the way, please hear me. I, I may be speaking very confidently, but I am so aware that I am a, a work in progress myself. Can we learn to serve and love people without expecting anything in return? Can we, can we learn to serve and love people without expecting anything in return? I think we can. I think that's the call of God for us as followers of Jesus. Can we learn not to focus on the failings of others, but choosing to think well of them even if they let us down? Is it easy? No. But can we? We can. You know, Paul, Paul how often do I have like a righteousness barometer when I have a disagreement with someone and I'm, I'm thinking that they are wrong and I must be right? Whereas if I took a step back, I realise actually that God's just made us different. And in many situations, it's not about right or wrong, righteousness or, or wrongness. It's, it's just actually people have different emphasis. You know, as, as you walk out of here this morning, some of you who love the prophetic, you love to see spiritual gifts operating, you're going to come out and you're going to have a certain judgment on how this morning's gone. Others of you who love the word of God, you'll, be, you'll have another judgment. Was the word of God preached faithfully? Some of you have got a pastoral gift and you'll be thinking, but have people been cared for? And if you've got more of an evangelistic edge, you'll be thinking we shouldn't even be in here. We should be out there telling people about Jesus. Who's wrong? Who's right? It's not about wrongness or rightness. It's about God has gifted us different. He's given us different personalities. And in some cases, we judge people and we say, you are wrong and that's within the church, within the body of Christ. They're just different from us. God's made them different. In actual fact, we need that difference. Unity isn't about sameness. Unity is about love in the midst of difference and diversity. And we reflect something that nowhere else can. And often, when it comes to responsibility... I can pick up responsibility for pointing out other people's faults. Can you do that? You know, I'm a very responsible person when it comes to pointing out where someone else has got it wrong. But is, is that where God would have us looking? I'm also very aware when people aren't meeting my needs. If only you started to do this, then I'd be much, much happier. I'd be much, much fulfilled. But the Bible doesn't emphasise things this way round. The Bible's very, very clear. My responsibility is to develop my character, not critique other people. 
Our responsibility is to develop our characters, not critique others. My responsibility is to meet other people's needs rather than focusing on my own. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to meet other people's needs rather than focusing on our own. And if you're a parent or you're a grandparent in the room, you're probably pretty good at doing that. Those little ones that run around that are completely oblivious to everything you pour into their lives, but you do it, why? Because you love them. You don't always feel you love them, but you do love them, and so you pour into them affection and love. What would we look like if we took those lessons that we've learned as parents and grandparents and extended them across the family of God, the the church, how amazing it would be. Just as I close, and then I want to leave some good time for us to respond. What happens when, because at times people do, and, and Matthew 18 says it, that there are times when we should confront people when they're getting things wrong. We should approach them and talk to them. So what, what happens when, well, when we feel like we're being attacked or if we feel we're being confronted and someone's done a pretty bad job of it if we're totally honest? Well, what, what did Jesus do? 1 Peter 2 verse 23 says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. At a heart level, we need to learn to do the same. And it's costly. And it hurts. When people come to you and say, do you know what, I think you've got this wrong or you've got that wrong, How do you respond? Are you spiky? Do you, if you were totally honest, you know that you have four or five answers to what they're saying before they've even finished their sentence? Does something, I mean, this is, I'll just be honest, I'm really good at justifying myself. Or or do you know what it is just to listen? About just over 20 years ago, a bit more than that, I did a year's training in India, uh, leaders, church leadership training. And part of what we did every two weeks, and it was at times quite traumatic, if I'm totally honest, was there were seven or eight of us on the training, and uh, our mentor was there, and we would feed back to each other what it was like living with these other six people. You imagine doing that, right? So, so we didn't know each other before we went into this house. And then every couple of weeks we're doing it. Generally, it was incredibly positive. But at times, it was really hard to hear as people raised things. And they had examples. And because there were seven of us all living together, it wasn't just one person who'd seen it. Do you mean there were plenty of witnesses to back up what they were saying? We, we were taught, we were taught, and it wasn't easy, and, and it's still not easy at all. We were taught to... When someone brought some feedback, just to listen. At the end of them sharing what they shared, just to say thanks so much for being courageous enough to tell me that, and then take it away and bring it to God and pray about it. In the moment, not justify myself, not try and answer it, not try and bring mitigating circumstances, 
just to listen because the Bible says that when we give each other feedback, whether great or whether difficult to hear, do you know what? It's a gift from him. This is what it says in Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. I think it's there on the screen somewhere, Dan. It might not be. Is it there? No? That was a good one. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Right, listen carefully to this. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Listen. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. All of us would prefer hidden love. But God says it's better for us to hear an open rebuke than it is for us to hide that love away. What it's basically saying is when you get rebuked, more than likely someone is loving you as they do it. That's what they're trying to do, even if they do it really badly. Then it goes on to say this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now sometimes when we're bringing feedback, we do it badly. I know, I do it badly at times. But if I'm honest, often it's not out of a bad intent on my part. You know what it often is? It's because I'm blimmin' nervous about doing it. It's because I don't really want to do it, but I know I should. And therefore I'm nervous, and then I make a pig's ear of it. Now, I don't know about you, but some of you will be able to relate. Sometimes, sometimes it's just done out of anger, and that's wrong, and it shouldn't be done that way. But, but sometimes when we genuinely try to do it well, we, we get it bad because we're trying to get it right and we're nervous and we don't know how the other person's going to respond. So we shortcut stuff and we get it wrong. Friends, please, let me encourage you. If someone has the courage to come and try and communicate something to you and it might be something you don't want to hear, they are probably pretty nervous about doing it. Don't react. Don't have an outburst of anger. Don't hold a grudge against them for years. They're probably being a gift from God to you in it. The truth is, conflict is a normal part of everyday life. It is this side of Jesus returning. And and conflict is a part of everyday church life too. If you're living close enough with someone, at times you're going to disagree. And, And that's the same as church, you know. If we're living close enough in church relationship with one another, there will be times when we disagree. Let's learn, by the grace of God, to handle it in a counter-cultural way. Not judging, not throwing people under the bus, but hoping for the best, trusting, continuing to love those around us. Everything we've been preaching on this series, and I'm nearly, nearly ending, everything we've been preaching on this preach series comes from the Living Free course. It's, it's, it's a course that we would normally run sort of midweek evening or something like that. If we can put the next slide up, Dan, Living Free, that's brilliant. We've got a course starting on the 3rd of February. It'll be 7.30 in the evening at the Hastings Centre. If you want to grow in maturity as a Christian... If you want to be equipped to win that daily battle, I just encourage you to sign up for it. Either go to the information desk at the end of the morning and put your name down, or email hello at kings1066. I think places are going to be limited. So if you want... It's not if you've necessarily got some big problem, although the gospel can help you in that. Just in the everyday life, this will put foundations into your walk with Jesus. As I finish, 
It says this in Romans 12, 18. I'm pretty certain this, by, this slide is there. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If I can invite the band back up, that would be great. The enemy wants to trip us up. And one of the key ways he does that is breaking up relationships. We can stop that from happening. Can we pop the verse back up? Is that all right, Dan? That'd be great. Thanks, mate. I know you're probably thinking of song words, but uh, we'll just leave that up for a little while. Can I just invite you just for a few moments right now, just have a look at that Bible verse. Invite the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. Is there anyone, is there any situation where you know you've got some work to do? You need to forgive. You need to change your attitude. You possibly don't even need to go and talk to them about it. John Groves mentioned that a few weeks ago, looking at forgiveness. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I'm just going to give you a few moments just to do your own business with God.